you're listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name's Jen, and with me is my film critic. It's a moonfall! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea what you're referencing there. Thought I'd do a, <laughs> thought I'd do a sign-in this week. Okay. Sort of little, little hint of things to come. Things to come. Wow. Yeah. How... Um, for, nope, not for But I, I have to acknowledge that it did lead us into uncharted territory. Yep, no, still don't get it. <laughs> you might have to flee, or there'll be a death on the Nile. <laughs> oh, okay, that one I got. That one was a bit okay. heavy-handed. Okay, I'll leave it there then. <laughs> okay, great. great. <laughs> you know that common saying, there might be a death on the Nile? There might be a death on the Nile tonight, if you're not careful, love. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. That's what yeah, they say that if you're down my chippy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take it easy, there might be a death on the Nile. <laughs> Let's hop straight into it then. What have you been watching? Well, we'll start with Uncharted. Oh, I get it now. Uh, now the whole podcast is going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the big screen adaptation of the blockbuster PlayStation video game uh-huh. franchise. Mm. Wow, going and... for an Oscar nomination, are they? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> best video game movie it had to have its own category um most competent video game movie oh. least terrible video game movie is something they're now giving out every mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. um always presented by dead dennis hopper no idea oh. why um yeah so this is ruben fleischer directing mm-hmm. who made zombie land in 2009 and seemingly has made a career since just disappointing people <laughs> um oh. it's not quite fair i think some people did like venom with the uh, oh, Tom Hardy. Yes. Uh, but he also made 30 Minutes or Less, Gangster Squad, and Zombieland 2. So it's not a great scorecard. And uh, speaking of one-hit wonders, we also have screenwriting duo, the excellently named Art Markham and Matt Holloway. Wow, Art Markham. Oh, Art Markham. <laughs> I want to be called Art Markham. Art Markham is pretty good for the yeah. name of a private investigator. Uh-huh. Damn it, Markham. <laughs> And they, they bloody wrote Iron Man. And then Punisher Warzone, okay. Transformers 6, and Men mm. in Black International. So mm. eh. I feel like b- behind the camera in Hollywood, you literally cannot fail. <laughs> you could just keep going. Unless you're mm. Weiss and Benioff, uh, the losers who only managed to deliver six and a half seasons of scintillating television. <laughs> Worst writers ever. What are you? Who did? What did they do? What did they, they did do? Game of the... Thrones. They oh, nearly, nearly okay. finished Game of Thrones, and I feel like we don't mm. give enough credit anymore to nearly doing something perfectly. Yeah, I mean, like that's true. They get not... like seventy percent on the exact eighty percent either. Even yeah, six and a half out of eight. That's yeah. that's not bad. That's Come pretty on, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. It's a shame that last percent was uh, so important. Yeah. Yeah. It is the most important, some would argue. If yeah. only you'd have messed up the middle seasons. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, the film is about a young adventurer named Nathan Drake, played by Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. Little baby, little baby-butted Tom Holland, <laughs> who is rescued, uh, sorry, recruited by a seasoned thief, Sully, played by Mark Wahlberg, mm-hmm. into a big treasure hunt for the lost gold of the Magellan Expedition. And on the way, he bumps heads with another adventurer, Chloe Fraser, Fraser, sorry, mm. uh, played by Sophia Ali, and mercenary leader Joe Braddock, played by Tati Gabrielle. Also, Drake has a lost brother who disappeared looking for the same gold. So there's a lot going on. Mm. Okay. Now, video game adaptations have been the big enigma of blockbuster cinema mm-hmm. over the past thirty years since Mario Brothers, and uh, <laughs> that one went well. That one, that one was good, but ever since they've not managed to re- recreate it, except with Street Fighter. Mm. And I think 
the reason for the frequent, near incessant failure is that filmmakers adapt the story of the game mm. or the characters or like the look of the world, but they ignore the gameplay. Mm. You know, the gameplay is from the game. We just need to adapt the bits of the game that are most similar to a movie. Okay. And yeah. I think that means they overlook often the sort of big selling point of the thing. And what they need to do is ask themselves, does the gameplay translate into a movie? If you take Hitman, for example, uh-huh. they've made two Hitman movies and both of them are just shallow born alikes with a bald guy. Right. Mm. They just saw the cover. There's a bald guy, he's got yeah. guns, espionage, got it, we'll write a script as we usually do. <laughs> but people play Hitman in order to explore uh, involving uh, environments and follow mm. their targets and learn their patterns and then find subtle ways to disrupt those patterns and then cause hilarious deaths. Yeah. And that's great. That totally translates to screen. It's like yeah. Final Destination, but death is played by a menacing bald guy, mm-hmm. sometimes in a chef's outfit. <laughs> I've watched that. You hid in a crate for five hours. <laughs> you hid in a crate for five minutes after our main character saw him. He got in the crate <laughs> and then after a few minutes was like, oh, that must have been my imagination and just walks away. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely watch that. Yeah, so, I would watch that. <laughs> with that in mind, Uncharted is seemingly perfect for the big screen because a lot of its heritage is adventure movies. Um, when the first game came out back in 2007, I think, everyone described it as cinematic. Mm. So adaptation should be a cinch. It's yeah. action, adventure, puzzles, mm-hmm. fun characters. Let's look at how they did each of those. Okay. Start with action. Mm-hmm. It's ambitious. Okay. The movie starts with Drake sort of hanging out the back of an airplane. His foot is caught in like a, a string of uh, container packages that are like roped together and he's got to climb up them to get back on the plane. And it's a fun premise, but almost immediately he's leapfrogging around. He's obviously a CGI double who's, you know, resisting all mm. laws of physics. There's a fake environment and it's just a bit uninvolving, especially mm. since you can see that gag basically done for real with actual stuntmen at, or tom cruise in mission impossible rogue nation and the living daylights oh, oh. Living daylights. <laughs> i joined in i don't know what you're singing <laughs> I, just, it is. I don't want to be left out <laughs> i appreciate that and i respect the fact you always do that national anthems yeah oh <laughs> bus, the sweetest bus kids on the street <laughs> Add that onto the end of any song. Trust me, it'll work. <laughs> God oh, save God. our gracious queen. Oh, oh the sweetest oh, thing. Oh. <laughs> it was a reference to a ha, and I'm sure uh-huh. people at home. It was a ha. Yeah, it was a ha. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's the refusal for this movie to take any kind of risk is an issue. Mm. It, all, it all feels very, very safe. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy the big climactic action scene involving two cool. pirate ships suspended from helicopters. Fun. Um, fighting against each other. Yeah, that sounds it, silly. It didn't look great, but it was a really fun and silly idea. Yeah. So if you can use your imagination a bit, you get behind it. Yeah. So that's action. It's okay. Uh, puzzles. It's a bit plain on puzzles. Mm. I think in a movie featuring puzzles, you want something a little bit more interesting than, oh, it's Spanish for pine tree, so let's go to the church called Mary <sighs> of the Pines. Yeah, that's rubbish. Uh, that is rubbish. I've want... too many films cop out on good puzzles or twists you need a good or puzzle. like clever little. Mm. It's because <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Can isn't either it? <laughs> figure out. It is difficult, but something yeah. the audience can either figure out. Or um, be really involved in seeing mm. the heroes figure out. Yeah. 
um, you know, some lateral thinking and real world knowledge, like knowing that Jehovah starts with an I in the Latin alphabet, you know, mm. from Indiana Jones. Or, yeah. You know, there's an underrated horror film called As Above, So Below, mm-hmm. which is set in the catacombs, uh, catacombs beneath Paris. Ooh. And they have a puzzle there in which they need to figure out which tile corresponds to, I think, the Earth and then pull that out. So now they need to think about what planets the Parisians of 300 years ago when they made this puzzle knew about okay like, is this before neptune have they have neptune yet you know was galileo like it's interesting to yeah. see them, like try and piece that together and i think there's something cool you could do with the fact that medieval map makers used to put east at the top of their maps oh, did they? you know yeah hence um orientation orient you know it literally <gasps> means like putting east first <gasps> oh shit and that's exactly what you want to feel when you're watching puzzles in a movie <laughs> you want that little wow oh. yeah no that's what i want that's what i want can I tell you my fact? Yes. That um, do you know why it's called Arctic and Antarctic? No. Because Arctus. No, Arctus is the Greek word for bear. So the Arctic has bears, and the Antarctic has no bears. (laughs) No bears here. That's amazing. Isn't that great? (laughs) Uh, I can't remember which pole we're at. Well, keep a lookout. How many bears you see? Yogi looking fella. And we'll we'll know. No bears for oh, now, yeah. but mm. <laughs> could still yeah. be bears. Mm-hmm. Oh god! And f- well, so that there's the puzzles, and finally, you have the spirit of adventure, the globe-trotting, high-spirited excitement of it all. Yeehaw! Adventure calls, and it's probably the strongest of the three. This does at least invoke the idea of a world that's full of mysteries and treasures and things to be explored, whilst skirting around the orient orientalism and implied imperialism mm-hmm. is at the heart of that sentiment sentiment mm-hmm. but it's not very unique and i did find myself thinking about indiana jones and that spielberg tintin movie from 2011 that oh, yeah. managed all of this a lot better mm-hmm. I, like um, that film. I like that film a lot it's, it's mm. spielberg spielberg's very good at wonder mm. he's very good at making you go "Ooh, yeah let's explore this place dinosaurs yeah. yay Yay. And it's hard, and it's beyond Mr. Fleischer, unfortunately, because mm. there's not enough whimsy. Okay. Um, and that's possibly because it is, it is all a little bit too glossy, which extends to its cast, who are very young and shiny people, and we see an awful <laughs> lot of skin from all of them. Yeah. I I'm feel a like prude, cover-up adventurer. <laughs> well, the young, like, there's a mercenary leader, the aforementioned mm. mercenary leader, and she's a young woman, and she, she, she has the build of, like, your Selena Gomez. Mm. And she spends a fair bit of the movie in like a, a tropical friendly swimsuit. Okay. And I don't want to be the guy who complains, you know, uh, Carmen, uh, what's her name from, uh, oh, what's her name? And um, Denise Richards, she could never be a nuclear physicist. Yeah, she could. Leave her yeah. alone. Yeah. She'd be a nuclear physicist if she wants. People can look however they want. Yeah. But nevertheless, big, tough, intimidating mercenary leader. I don't know. It just made it all feel a bit too teen friendly the whole thing okay it's it's okay but yeah. a little disappointing considering what they could have made with this material and i don't think that this has yet solved the dilemma of how to adapt even the most cinematic of video games okay. so that's a three star give it a watch and then forget it in a week okay fine i probably won't bother unless it's on <laughs> and I if it's... Can't. again it's a t if it's on the tv and i can't be bothered moving i'd probably stay go. i think it. it'll make a pretty good like saturday afternoon christmas yeah. weekend kind of yeah. Thing. yeah 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 something that you know, dad and the grandpa and little Timmy can sit together and watch. You know what? Yeah, I'll probably end up watching it at my parents' house. They get through a lot of TV and films and eventually (laughs) they just need just something. 
And yeah. three stars, yeah, it's probably enough. That's probably enough. You know what will happen? And I know my, my mum listens to these episodes, so I'm calling <laughs> you out right here. They'll get about 50 minutes through it. And then someone will have fallen asleep. And we'll never see the ending. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's exactly how this should go. Uh-huh. Which is, it is a shame. If you can fall asleep at the beginning and wake up near the end, you'd oh, be that would be ideal for Uncharted. But... Yeah, that'd be a better deal. I don't think you'd miss... It wouldn't take you long to catch up. <laughs> I oh, think it, I'm going to assume it went how you expected it would go. Oh, yeah. It's exactly... Yeah. It, there's no surprises available here, really. Mm. Okay, yeah. well, fine. Next one, please. Okay. Feed me more. Oh, oh dear. Moonfall. Skyfall? So, uh, f- oh my God, I never noticed the similarities there. No, unfortunately not. This is Moonfall. Mm. Roland Emmerich is back and oh boy, uh, the moon yes. is out of orbit. And also it's not real. It's a megastructure that was built by a race of aliens. And now a different alien or a rogue AI or something is causing it to fall to moonfall. <laughs> it's stupid yeah it is stupid and it's gonna fall into the earth causing lots of cgi to happen and it's up to patrick wilson halle berry and sam off of game of thrones speaking of uh to fly up there and start the moon up again it's needs plugging back in yeah they just gotta turn it off and on again and then Mm. everything will be fine it's a very dumb premise and it does seem to know it the problem is I haven't wanted to leave a cinema this badly since Mortal Engines. Oh, no. It's so terrible. And I was unimaginably bored. Oh, no. (laughs) I was squirming about in my seat like a little kid hoping to be taken out to McDonald's. Just, Mm. it was weird. I was physically moving about during the movie. No. How could a movie with a premise so dumb be this boring? (laughs) How do you mess this up? (laughs) Mom! Mom! (laughs) Jen's mom, turn off the film. (laughs) Mom! I want to go to sleep. It won't let me. (laughs) This, surely this would be fun if the director knew anything about what they were doing. But Emmerich, Emmerich has had a real weakness when it comes to delivering involving stories or characters or even action sequences since his 90s heyday. What? um, I know the name, but I've forgotten what he did. Tell me what he did. Well, he started with Universal Soldier, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's probably where you know him from. You've shown me clips of... Have you shown me clips of that? No, I've shown you clips of the much superior Hard Target. That was um, it, yeah. By John Mm. Woo. No, uh, Stargate, Mm. Independence Day, Godzilla, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Mm, The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Right, Um, yeah. This is a series of films I don't like very much. No, it's disaster movies, and it's CGI-heavy, charmless disaster movies. It's... Oh, his films always used to live on spectacle and he used to be very good at build-up. And if you look mm. back at those 90s ones in particular, Stargate, Independence Day, even Godzilla, mm. there's always a great first act. Mm. You know, especially Independence Day where he sets up all these characters yeah, who true. are cliches. But yeah, that they're about and, and they're, they're doing stuff and you set up the situation and there's a good sense of things being ominous and dramatic mm. and we're building to something. And then when that big practical explosion goes off, mm. it's worth the wait. You know, here we dedicate time to a handful of cliches and the payoff is just CGI mush, ugly looking CGI mush. And the laziness is just palpable to the whole Mm. thing. There's a moment in Independence Day where Will Smith, who plays the black stereotype in that movie, and Jeff Mm. Goldblum, who is the Jewish stereotype in that movie, Mm -hmm. are alone together for the first time in the movie. It's it's near the end, in fact, it's about the third act. 
they're building up to the big final conflict and Jeff Goldblum has just laid out his plans for fighting the aliens and Smith has volunteered to fly an alien spaceship up there mm-hmm. um, in order to do it. And in a subdued mid-shot that almost feels accidental, we catch the two characters together and they say the first things they say to each other, which is Goldblum says, you really think you can fly that thing? And Smith replies, you really think you can do all that shit you just said? <laughs> It's great. It's yeah, a lovely good. little moment, <laughs> and it good. promises a fun dynamic between the two. Yeah. <laughs> very accessible, very familiar, but nevertheless, interesting and exciting. There's yeah. no such thing here. Sam off of Game mm. of Thrones, who is John Bradley, the only good performer in the film, except perhaps Michael Pena. Okay. He says wacky things, outlandish things, and everyone rolls their eyes. Mm. There's no personality. It's literally that. They've got a butt monkey, as they call it, mm. in, the, um, in the group, and they all just take turns rolling their eyes at him yeah and it's just there's nothing there's nothing to any of the other characters they're completely bland but you know speaking of that character let's just have a quick look at him emmerich refuses to mature as a filmmaker he wants to do exactly the same thing he did in 1996 and do it now and Mm. that includes taking all the same archetypes and it was only watching this that i realized that all of his disaster movies in some way validate a conspiracy theorist Hmm. In Stargate, it's the incredibly racist idea that those smelly ancient Egyptians couldn't have possibly built the pyramids on their own before there was even America. So <laughs> aliens must have done it for them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, in Independence Day, it's the idea that Area 51 is a thing. Day after tomorrow, some bizarre point about climate change. 2012, <laughs> the Mayan prophecy. You know, I don't think he means any harm with it, but he just uses it as a jumping off point. Yeah. What are these whack jobs? I don't fit the... Cl- if, <laughs> I can't remember day after tomorrow. If the whole thing of is what if climate change just happens really, really quickly, then fine, great. I'll, I'll exclude them from my next uh, phrase, the collective noun, which is whack jobs. <laughs> um, but the idea is, what if these yeah. whack jobs were right about something? Yeah. You know, wouldn't that be scary? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, conspiracy theorists aren't fun anymore. No, they're not. Not since <laughs> it QAnon. A turn. It yeah, took it took a, a turn. turn. It took a turn when all the flat earthers joined QAnon and then stormed the capital. So... Having yeah. Bradley's character teaching school kids about how the moon must be a megastructure because it's just too perfect to have happened naturally. That I leaves... do look at it every night and I go, gosh, <laughs> that beauty. So perfect. It's so artificial. It's... In order to eclipse the sun, it has to be exactly the right size and exactly the right distance away in order for it to perfectly eclipse the sun. At no point, incidentally, do they explain why it was designed to perfectly <laughs> eclipse the sun. Why it's is that just... important? It just it's does. The whole, it's the whole creative design thing. You know, a banana is so perfectly fitting into a hand that it must have been created by God. And it's like, well, what? Do, how do you explain a f- pineapple then? I said I wouldn't <laughs> swear, sorry. <laughs> you can do that line again if you want. I'll, I'll beat myself. <laughs> he said delicious pineapple. <laughs> how do you explain a delicious fruity pineapple, sir? Hmm. But anyway, conspiracy theorists aren't the only ones being pandered to. Chinese production company at the beginning, so we have an entirely redundant and saintly Chinese character who is visible in the background of several scenes. Wonderful. And a neat little nod to the fine folks at the Chinese space uh, industry. Please allow allow our movie to pass by the censors, China. Um, But also, the lunar modules have been lent to us by the fine folk at SpaceX, which prompts John Bradley to pipe up, I love Elon. No. Yeah. Fuck this film. Give it one star, Paul. I'm done with this one. Talk about me one. This is shit. <laughs> Nearly there. Mark Hemmert <laughs> indicated that this movie is dumb but fun, but I really can't strongly enough disagree with the second part of that. Okay. I found it so boring, incredibly lazy, very pandering. 
the one good thing i know this mm-hmm. isn't that podcast but i'll do it here. get out of here my, no well, we won't mantra. have your branding on this <laughs> stop trying to sneak it in no one listen to that it's rubbish it's great. the one redeeming it's thing rubbish about the film. <laughs> there's a cat in it called fuzz aldrin that's okay that's good yeah, that's, that's pretty good, good. but <laughs> that's, that's good even that is a little bit of a sour note for me because there is a moment where the scenario they have constructed allows for fuzz aldrin to talk but they decided oh. not to have him do that okay and that's i'm not having that so mm. yeah this gets my seldom seen one star for this fella reserved only for the truly tedious blockbusters and adam sandler films yeah that's fine this one sounds to me like a pure money grab Yep. Um, rubbish <coughs> don't like genius. it stop pandering sod off yeah. um, not gonna watch it goodbye my oh, parents put not... it on I'm gonna walk out <laughs> Emmerich tried to make a big song and dance of this by the way it seems that a successful way to promote your movie these days is to go on all the chat things and interviews and talk about how M- the MCU is ruining cinema and how uh. Disney is dominating it and it's like okay if there's limited amount of uh, public awareness or resources or whatever out there to make movies then Damn you for filling any of that space with Moonfall. Yeah. Jeez. <sighs> yeah. Sounds rubbish. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't think I've liked, really liked any of his films, so you can sod no. right off. No, I, I really sod a swear? The other, we said, uh, is sod a swear? It, it might be a swear. It might he be can swear. go away. He can go Roland right Emmerich the, can go away. He can go rightly away, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he can go rightly away. <laughs> All right. Mm. so anything better than that (laughs) that's an unfortunate segue into the next film you know what yes yes we do we have death on denial up from one one. (laughs) yeah this is going to be at least one better than the previous one this is death on the nile the newest release to discuss Mm -hmm. and it is kenneth branagh's Mm. Uh, sequel to the 2017 adaptation of the murder of the orient express murder on the orient express i think rather than of (laughs) <laughs> they killed, killed my, my train, train. <laughs> damn you <laughs> damn your eyes <laughs> henry did it henry oh henry, god henry and percy and thomas they all did it <laughs> they all did it together they blocked his steam chute yeah. and it was oh, the, brutal a brutal it, suffocation yeah, it was a really really bad death for that for, for thomas himself who got thomas murdered. no no not tom Oh, Branagh reprises the role of Agatha Christie's uh, Hercule Poirot. Poirot? Poirot. 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 In another... It's turning into Arnie. (laughs) (laughs) In another one of her classic crime capers. Uh, This time aboard a cruise ship sailing down the Nile. Uh, We meet a bunch of sketchy characters played by a bunch of sketchy celebrities. One of whom is murdered and Poirot has to uh, figure out who it was what what done it Mm -hmm. now i enjoyed his murder on the orient express it was very glossy and a bit superficial but it was it was fun and the cast availed themselves well i thought um but it is clear that branner wants to um capitalize on that film's success by sort of doubling down right on the excesses of it Mm. and the result is unfortunately a little off-putting um let's start with that cast it is the film's biggest selling point is that we've got this huge cast of people and starting with branner he's still fine his accent stays on the right side of charming and silly mm-hmm. um and he has some good moments of really good humor um in there most of which did find their way into the trailer but there's a couple that'll catch you off guard which is nice cool um he is attempting to bring a greater pathos to poirot uh, which he mainly does in one shot 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a shot where the whole movie stops dead for a second to be like, look, look at me and my acting. Okay. Which is which wow. is actually somewhat affecting in its very obvious intention. Okay. He's also tried to do what Christie somewhat purposely did not do and fill in some of Poirot's backstory. Um. And in the process, making him a lot younger than he ought to be by giving him a World War I origin story when he was meant to be an old man by the 20s. Okay. But also rather ridiculously giving his moustache a bizarre origin oh, story. Come on. Not everything <laughs> needs to be explained. Some Why people just like to have moustache? a moustache. Because <laughs> it was fashionable. <laughs> I don't know. Because he wanted one? No. There has to be a reason. Because he's got a horrible is... scar that he has to cover up. He's got a horrible scar of that course he has he to cover up. <laughs> and everybody knows has. that scar tissue is really good at growing hair. Yeah. Yeah. Makes no sense. Is it glued on? <laughs> Did they say it's, it's glued on? <laughs> it's implied that he's actually grown this out of his scarry face. A mm. scar which incidentally exactly replicates <laughs> where the mustache would be, including a little bit for the goatee on his chin. No, that's so stupid. It's very stupid. Oh, come oh. on, guys. Come on. <laughs> come on, guys. Come on, There's no guys. need for this. What are you doing? My for conclusion an hour? so far this evening is that I could write a better film. <laughs> we need to get you to Hollywood almost immediately. Um, uh, else, elsewhere in the cast well here's the thing the film was shot in 2019 and uh, then delayed due to the various covids that we've had mm. and unfortunately quite a few members of the cast have been subsequently cancelled oh. for a range of offences that range from sp- spreading misinformation about vaccines to being naive on the internet uh, poor Gal Godot there's worse things to be uh, yeah. um, and then just being Army Hammer who Ooh, yeah. yep, who yeah. I think is actually I think they might have gone back and edited this to try and reduce his screen presence. Yeah. I can't be sure of that, but I think they may have. Um, all of which is a little distracting, as is the film's slightly awkward handling of race within the plot. The diverse mm-hmm. cast is fantastic, but yeah. there are a couple of moments where race doesn't feature when it should and then sh- does feature where you wonder if it should. Mm. It's curious. Um, yeah. And none of it is make or break for the film, but if you're not enjoying yourself, it is distracting how evocative the characters are of the actors' controversies. Okay. Gal Gadot plays a self-indulgent millionaire. Right. Yeah. And Army Hammer is an aggressive Lafario. Whoops. Whoa. Uh-oh. Whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Gosh, you know what, Army? You're an absolute natural on set. <laughs> you're very good at this. He's like, yes, I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm method. Hey, what's what's in the sandwich? So, <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> most of the real value in the cast comes from elsewhere. And I must say that Emma Mackey, who I spent the entire movie mistaking for Margot Robbie doing the best accent of her life, <laughs> actually Emma, Emma Mackey. Mackey. Oh, she was in a uh, she was in a TV show that I recognised but haven't watched. Um, but nevertheless, she is just amazing as the spurned lover, Jackie. She's just oozing with resentment and oh, it's nice. very camp. There's moments where like the happy couple are dancing and you cut over to her just seething. And it's very fun and more in keeping with the tone that you should be going for in a film like this, I think. Mm. She, and then she you... does look just like Marg- um, um, yeah! Margot Robbie. You are I right. was so sure that it was her because of the all-star. I, you know what? Thing, but... <clears throat> I was expecting to pull up her picture and be like, it's another Paul's face blindness. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you're right. It's okay. That, that could be a Robbie. Could be a Robbie. It could be a Robbie. Uh, Sophie Okanedo 
is mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fun to watch as the strong-willed jazz singer Salome Otterborn, who is more or less an invention of the uh, screenwriters here. She's okay. sort of cannibalized from a role in the book, but it's obviously mm. very different, and I like her. Um, and Rose Leslie is doing a French accent that is far more what you want in a movie <laughs> like this. <laughs> I could not have seen him. Im. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I shall leave immediately. Out but, yeah. this door. <laughs> That's what you want. You want some wackiness yeah. here. But a lot yeah. of the characters just are not very fun or memorable, which wastes some really fantastic actors in the roles. Yeah, shame. And we're back to that ever-elusive spirit of adventure, which I did feel in the 2017 film. Um, but I mm. must confess that I watched all three of the 70s Poirots this time last year and found that Death in the Nile and Evil Under the Sun were very welcome escapism during the bleak uh, mm. lockdown winter last year. Yeah. Um, this film's just a little too artificial to be the same. There are seemingly some actual shots from the bank of the Nile or similar, you know, which are beautiful and really evocative and, you know, feel like a bit of an mm. adventure movie. But far more often we're seeing very glossy, bland, video game style recreations of the Nile, which mm. the camera moves around with this kind of deft and swiftness that is completely unnatural. And there's just no texture or reality to so many of the shots here. And the color palette is so blandly warm. And it just, yeah, it fails to capture the grandeur of the setting. We also have a weird recurring visual motif of people being refracted in glass, which fails to meaningly conform to the theme of the film. Because the theme of the film is, we will do anything for love. Okay. And that is much more naturally sewn into the film than uh, Orient Express, which is vaguely about justice and, you know, things aren't black and white, which didn't quite... Mm. Mm, go into tricky all of it. but here every single character and subplot of the film is affected by that same thing which is mm. what will you do for love except Poirot himself who doesn't quite get involved and it doesn't really affect him and what he does but it got he's much too busy closer. thinking about his mustache <laughs> he's too busy hoping to god that nobody sees through his mustache but what if they got... saw my scar <laughs> no they would lose I would lose all respect <laughs> as a detective <laughs> But it got much closer to being satisfying than maybe even saying something. Whoa. Ooh. Whoa. The 2017 one. Oh my God. Whoa. So it's going to get the three stars. It's actually very similar to Uncharted in that way. It's disposable, but not unpleasant. Okay. Um, it's uh, not doing very well financially. So hopefully we, sh- we shall be spared the uh, threatened Agatha Christie cinematic universe that might be, that they've Jeez. suggested they might do. Yeah. Ugh. Oh no. <laughs> You must be Poirot. My name is Marple. Miss Marple. Oh, God. <laughs> no. No, surely not. <laughs> you, um, five, give it five years. No, but this film has done quite badly, so it might just put an yeah. end to it there. I was just going to say, it was a bit of a shame. I was kind of excited by the promise of Death on the Nile back mm. in the Orient Express. But, God, if it just managed to make Egypt feel a bit more alive and real... You know, um, I've heard Egypt actually exists and you could probably go film there if you wanted to. You could to. probably go there and a lot of their old stuff is still about. It They're is, not cleaned it, it really up is. Or, you know, put a block of flats in where you used to have a, a sphinx. Although mm. I do think there are McDonald's near the pyramids There are, now. but if you yeah. face the right direction, you're okay. <laughs> well, perfect. Go do that, Brunard. Yeah, Ugh. exactly. My, if anywhere my... has, still has its old stuff, it's Egypt. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Oh my God. So yeah. my griping is is done now. I'm going to infuse about these last four. Oh great, smashing! Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's start with Flea. 
Flea is an animated documentary about a man simultaneously recounting his harrowing experience of migrating from Afghanistan to mm. Denmark and discussing his own identity as a gay Muslim man. Mm. Um, and this is from Danish filmmaker... I've forgotten it all. <laughs> and I've just remembered that we've got Kanarsgul coming. <laughs> oh, no. Just say this one how you did... Whatever you did naturally, this one okay. I think was good. This is Danish filmmaker jo- Jonas Poher Rasmussen. Jonas Poher Rasmussen. And comparisons have somewhat understand- understandably been made to Waltz of Bashir. And there mm. is a similar visual style and the idea of struggling with trauma and the past. But I think more distressingly, people are just thinking about Waltz of Bashir because it's very rare that adult animation and adult sort of documentary is, is um, made mainstream. Mm. You know, although in terms of adult animation, I Lost My Body and Loving Vincent weren't that long ago. So it's a very, it's a vibrant scene if, you know, people go and look. But sometimes these films get overlooked. I guess. Which is a huge shame because this film really demonstrates what you can do with this medium. We mm. have all of these really tender impressions of Armin, um, his life now and his childhood. And then these perilous and really haunting moments of trauma, including a sequence on a boat uh, which is simultaneously fanciful and just brutally visceral. And it's not mm. its not brutal in terms of how it depicts Armin's experiences. Very little is explicit in the traditional sense. It's not like a gory film or anything like that. Mm. But the animation can really drive home the horror and the helplessness of the human trafficking that they you know, experience on their journey. Mm. Yeah, I think the style of the film really allows us to experience the euphoria of identity as well, though. It's a great sequence where our main character is taken by his brother to a gay bar. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time he's ever been to one. And he's been terrified for so long of revealing this aspect of himself to his brother in fear of judgment. And just the bliss of that acceptance and him being in this environment and the music is just really, really beautiful. And I don't know, it's all about the quality of memory and the significance of trauma and how you should deal with it and how much you should hold on to it and what to do about it and how to share it as well. Because mm. the whole thing is like the premise is that he's getting married and it's about how do I talk to my you know, soon-to-be husband about my experiences of this horrible thing. And it's just all really rich and very well considered. And it's a very human film, one that's just mm. bristling with pain and joy and this very unique perspective that's completely absorbing and very unique. So, yeah, it's going to get all five stars there. And I, I wow. recommend seeing it in a, in a cinema if possible. Oh, great. It's okay. just beautiful looking. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. You get to inhabit... You have to inhabit someone else's skin for a bit. I love movies mm. that let you do that. I love being in other people's skin. Yeah. <laughs> let me in, listeners. that now. <laughs> this is how we handle talk about serious topics. Oh. <laughs> you know, neither said- of us can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we talk when we're off mic as well. So we should yeah. really keep that between us. <laughs> Hello there. Are you ready to start recording? I am. <laughs> You're <laughs> listening to Jen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're the biggest rated goblin podcast in now. <laughs> yeah. We're podcasters who happen to be goblins, not goblin podcasters, by the way. Yeah. There's a difference. <laughs> it's not the biggest thing about it. <laughs> Although we do, we do eat children. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything about goblins that was true. <laughs> I didn't know any goblin law. <laughs> I just throw that throwaway line like you don't know no one will notice. Ooh. Oh god, that's the one that got this podcast cancelled. Yeah, we'll be on the 
We'll be on the pile with Russell Brand soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will eat him too. Woohoo! Okay, that sounds great. I would watch that. Actually, yeah. you couldn't even okay. invite me to the cinema to go watch. I'd actually go watch. <laughs> oh, yay! <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll look out for that. Um, next one. Ready? Night- next one? Yep. yep. Nightmare okay, Alley. Guillermo del Toro uh, brings mm. us a slightly hard to quantify thriller, which sees Bradley Cooper as Ooh. Stanton Carlisle. It's a good name. Oof. That's a pretty good name. And he is on the run from a brutal crime. Who... A brutal crime. Brutal crime. Have you who... seen all these <laughs> brutal crimes? There's a reference for a book to get. Write in on a postcard if you know what we're referencing there. And if you don't know, don't try and find out for the love don't. of God. Oh, God. Please don't. Um... That, that was a visceral reaction. I didn't even... And then it was only when I was saying it. I was like, I've remembered why I'm saying this. <laughs> it's just sense memory at this stage. Oh, God. He he's, he's fleeing from this crime and he takes shelter in a circus. Uh, where he soon gets involved with a performer named Molly, played by Rooney Mara, and mm-hmm. a pair of mentalists, played by Tony Collette and David Strahan. This is actually the second adaptation of William Lindsay Gresham's novel after the 1947 version, and it does have a very noir feel to it that oscillates between like John Huston or Billy Wilder and Todd Browning or Val Luton. It's, it's got these horror elements to it, mm. but has its feet very much on the ground, and is actually by far del toro's least fantastical work okay. I, think I don't think there's actually anything inexplicable in this wow. you know it's it's all very rooted in reality but it still has his eye for the eccentric and the bold you know and the first half of the movie is very focused on the circus and we have a wonderful performance from willem defoe as the grotesque carney who's in charge of the freak show mm. And then it moves on to this much more typically noirish tale of seduction and duplicity in the big city and a terrible con that might just be our hero's undoing. And, you know, it turns into this kind of thriller plotline. And the film very deftly manages to switch between the two, sort of character study in a strange place, which I thought was the whole movie. Based on the trailer, I thought the whole movie was Guy joins the circus, you know. (laughs) It was very interesting when he got away from the circus around the midpoint. Maybe even the first one. Hey, act. get back to the circus. Where's the circus? I came here for the circus it. movie. I wanted yeah. Dark Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's not Dark Dumbo. So don't go in Not Dark Dumbo. That. Okay, great. Not Dark Dumbo. That'll be my own screenplay. <laughs> uh, Dumbo After Dark. So, Dumbo After Dark. Yeah. He, Nightmare he... Dumbo. <laughs> so the whole thing builds wonderfully and it traps its characters in this hideous web Ooh. that they'll struggle to claw their way out of. And it culminates in a final image that is perhaps one of the most haunting ever filmed. Wow. It's, uh, okay. It really. I mean, I, I went back That's and bold. read parts of the book after this, and the final line of the book is very good, but oh, it doesn't hit home. Like, um, the film comes close, but even the film goes on and has a bit of a, a happy ending after the brilliant okay. final line. Uh, this doesn't. This ends uh-huh. you exactly where you need to end, and it's okay. devastating. Um, and it feels entirely earned and within the logic of the film, and it really forces you to recontextualize everything that you've been experiencing so far and understand what kind of story you've been you've been told. Mm. So stylistically, it's an interesting comparison to movies like Death on the Nile and Uncharted because it mm. is actually still it still has this sheen, and Del Toro's always had that. Even when you're watching like a brutal soldier cave in a man's face with the underside of a <laughs> bottle in Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, you still have this very hands-on color grading that makes everything seem just a little bit unreal. But mm, unlike mean. those un- aforementioned films, the goal and the effect is not to make the image more palatable, far from it, 
but rather to create an intense sense of a world that he's created mm. and is portraying. It's very, you know, it's a singular world that is Del Toro's, you know, visual reference. And his images aren't overwhelming or off-putting, but entirely unique. You know, I feel like he's one of those directors you could be shown a still of and be like, oh, this is a Del Toro film. Okay, yeah. And it, this very much fits into it. And it gives you permission to suspend your disbelief and lose yourself in the fairly improbable story that, you know, risks bucking you off with its radical shifts and sort of twists and such. I think the original film was about the rise and fall of a con man, and this film is something altogether more tragic than that, and I think it's stronger mm. for it. Del Toro's always been the man to bring sympathy to the most grotesque of stories and characters, and he really succeeds here in telling a twisted tale. Mm. So it's going to get four stars, and I think because okay. I do love it, and I find it haunting, doesn't quite have the soul that I expect from a Del Toro film. There's a detachment going on there. Fair enough. And I'm not I'm also not completely sure that he succeeded in modernizing the film. It it's still this what this feels like is that someone as a social experiment made a nineteen forties film today. Okay. Mm. And that's got value and it's fun to watch, but it's not it doesn't quite reach out and sort of grab you in the way that you would hope a film that's been remade would. Mm. It's well, kind of like Del Toro was just watching movies one Saturday afternoon, saw this movie, and was like, I can do it better than that. He did. And he did. I he think. did do I it think, better. I think he did do it better, but, you know, I, I don't know if he made it timely enough. Okay, that's fair enough. Four stars. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd maybe. Highest I've given so far. No, you did five for Flea. Oh, Flea. Flea got five. Yeah, see Flea. Yeah, Flea got five. But, uh, Flea see got Flea. Five. Flea, Flea. See and Flea. Uh... Nightmare Ali. <laughs> Amelie? <laughs> <laughs> Amelie? Amelie. Amelie. Well, it's not Amelie, uh, it's Amulet, and that's the next film. Okay, great. <laughs> this is an outright spooky horror film now. It's Amulet. <sighs> uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm tell you right from the off, no, I'm not going <laughs> yeah, to watch no, this. No, this is not a film for gents, I'm afraid. No. Very promising new director, Romola Garay, mm. brings us a nightmare vision of uh, life as a handyman in Britain. Ah! <laughs> uh-oh, don't do it. Kids. Living in Britain, no! <laughs> Genuinely, it is kind of like that. We have <laughs> Tomas, played by Alex Sakarenu, who mm-hmm. is a former soldier okay. um, who has fled to England following some sort of terrible incident during the war and mm-hmm. finds himself down on his luck, but picked up by Imelda Staunton's deliciously sinister nun, Sister Claire. <laughs> uh, she's very good. He takes him to the home of a troubled Magda, played by Carla Jury, where he is tasked with helping her with various household repairs while she looks after her ailing mother, who is locked away upstairs. And uh, to be honest, even if all was as it seemed, then that would be a fairly horrific setup. But it's actually worse than that. Oh, wonderful. So, Yay! (laughs) Just continuing the surely at this stage universally recognized truism that the horror genre is a proving ground for excellent and exciting new talent. Garai... Mm. Garai has created something that is familiar and very effective in its horror tropes, but also strikingly new, placing itself somewhere between the character-driven dogma of St. Maud and the mind-bending body subversions of the lighthouse. Mm. It's hard to say more than this without um, revealing some of its myriad surprises, Uh, but suffice to say, it's a really affecting horror film that keeps you constantly on edge. And yeah, it's going to stay with you after you've seen it. I... It was one of those films where a day later I'd think about a moment from it and just shudder. Like, ugh. <laughs> ugh. That's unpleasant. That's such an unpleasant thing to have happened. <laughs> I want to do it again. <laughs> I've never understood yeah. horror. 
no, it's it's an unusually masochistic experience. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's something that is frightening and upsetting and disturbing, and it's getting all five stars. Great, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I'm going to go read the Wikipedia article after this so I can find out. Oh, what <laughs> even that I think would yeah get across what's going on. But Great. for those those able to stomach it, I urge you to check out Amulet. Yeah, watch it. Amulet. <laughs> Amulet. Amulet. Okay, great. So that's a no um, from me. Mm. Thank you. Next one. <laughs> okay, last last one. Last one. Now, okay. unfortunately, I, we are often behind the release dates of our reviews. Um, so it's nice to be getting a bit of a preview review um, of a film that we're going to be getting in March. It's oh. uh, Joachim Trier's The Worst Person in the World. The Worst Person in the World. Yeah, which had a brilliant and very funny poster. Yeah. Um, which, um, yeah, you do see differently once you've seen the film. <laughs> so the, it's a story told in 12 chapters of a prologue and an epilogue following Julie, a young mm-hmm. woman who is intelligent and driven, but also completely without direction and who loses interest in everything that she puts her mind to, whether that be a career or a relationship. Okay. She's turning 30 during the film and is forced to address some of her more contradictory parts of her nature and figure out who she actually is. Okay. Now, it's a Norwegian film, but seems possessed of a humour and a style that seems to this outsider to be entirely Scandinavian, to make a true generalisation <laughs> about it. A subcontinent, would you call it? I don't know what Scandinavia counts Region? As. Region. It, it feels very typical because there's something of, you know, fellow countryman uh, Karl Hove Knajgur. Knajgur. I think if you say Knazgard, no one's going to hate like. you. <laughs> There is, <laughs> there is something of fellow countryman Carlo V. Knazgur. I feel like I didn't do either. Knazgur. <laughs> Knazgur. There is something of fellow countryman Carlo V. Knazgur. It'll do. His is that supposed to be the end of the sentence? <laughs> no. There's something, there's something of him in, in this film's brutal honesty about relationships and sex and social utility. Uh, but we also have the troubling insight that reminds me of Swedish director Ruben Ostland or mm. later Bergman films, uh, but with the kind of fantasy of Roy Anderson and the humor of Trier in places. So I'm all over the map in Sc- Scandinavia with my references for this mm. thing, but it feels like there's a consistent identity there, which okay. is a humor that is based on saying the thing that nobody should be saying. A very taboo breaking, <laughs> okay. but not like not like a crude kind of stereotype-driven yeah. cliche, um, stereotype-driven truth, but more just truths about how we're all going to die and what the use mm. is of relationships and things like that, which feels very honesty. brutal honesty. And this is a film with a lot of uh, brutal honesty, which is also beautiful and has cool. so many relatable moments or moments that feel authentic at the very least. And it's very episodic. So we have this, we have like the sequence where she decides to see how far she can go with someone at a party without it counting as cheating. Or the moment where she and her then-boyfriend take magic mushrooms together, which leads to a very revealing sequence of hallucinatory self-discovery. Mm. Um, which are all fun. And I feel like it's one of those films where you're going to go back to it and it's like, oh, great, it's this sequence. And, uh, you know, there's fun. some moments of real visual creativity, which are just fantastic. But it is also a little frightening for me. Her, her life is tempestuous by design. And as mm. a person very resistant to change, it can be very distressing to see someone so readily discard you know, bits of life that they have built for themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the film demands empathy for Julie. Or, and uh, Renata uh, Reinsfer, who plays the role very earnestly and with great charisma, 
Uh, even if every now and then you might just want to punch her in the face a little bit. Just a, just a little bit. It's little. Just one of those hey, smiles. Where it's there like, isn't oh. anyone I don't want to punch in the face just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not, 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 not so it hurt. Just so they, they know. Just a small punching. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's very good in the role. Um, and she keeps it empathetic even as she does unsympathetic things. So that makes sense. Okay. But yeah. You know, it's the part of all of us that we would want to punch in the face now and then. It's a very human uh, kind of uh, thing. And, and and the title, The Worst Person in the World, is obviously told of a great deal of irony. You know, it's, mm. you know, oh, I'm the worst person in the world for this, you know. And it's, it's it, she never does anything that's sort of, you know, the other trier um, <laughs> kind of thing. But, you know, she's just very honest with herself and with others about what makes her happy, what makes her unhappy. And ultimately, mm. she's not going to find... Well, I think the, I think where the film goes is that she's not going to find purpose or identity until she starts opening herself up to some of the things that she doesn't want to experience. Okay. Negative and disempowering aspects of mm. life, which becomes harder for her to avoid as, you know, the film goes on. Things that she can't just run away from. Mm. So, yeah, it's really interesting and very insightful. Some real moments of, like, provocative humanity in there, so... It's definitely getting five stars. It's one of the best films cool. of 2021, which we still haven't wow. escaped and we're still seeing the sort of runoff <laughs> of. So Okay. Wowie. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Mm. <laughs> I'd like to watch that. It's very good. And then, yeah, finally I have to end it on apology. I, uh, I didn't get to see Jackass on time. Oh, yeah, you promised me Jackass. I did promise Jackass. I didn't get to see it. I'm seeing it this you... Friday, so I will be able to report back next time we meet. Okay, great. Well, at least there's that. <laughs> I forgive you, but I'm not sure the listeners will. Oh, I'm sorry. But look, you know, look, you don't need me to say go see Jackass. You know that it's the thing to go see. Go ah, see Jackass. Go see Flea. Yeah. Then Jackass, and then just stay yeah. at home until the worst person in the world comes out. An amulet yeah. if you can handle it. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Sounds about right. I think I overlooked one, but I can't remember what it is, so it doesn't. No, exist. I think those are the ones you um. Yeah. The Guillermo del Toro one? Oh, Nightmare Alley. Yes. Yes, very yeah, much Yeah, worth so. it. Okay. It's good stuff. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, three stinkers and four guns, I think. Mm. Okay, great. Three stinkers, four guns, and a partridge. <laughs> and a jackass. Yeah. And a jackass. <laughs> great. That right. doesn't count as swearing because it's in the name of the film. Exactly. You can't... We're allowed to say that one. Yeah. Jackass, jackass, jackass. Oh, God, just wait until we review the covers of Fuckville. <laughs> I'm cutting that. <laughs> That was another Joaquin uh, Trier film. <laughs> Brutal honesty. That's a real film. No. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Look, Paul, let's make that film. Let's make that film. <laughs> the least advertised film ever. Oh, I'll do it. I'd do it. Ben Wheatley is... made his excellent film, um, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, which I'd still love to show mm, to you guys at some point yes. because I feel like it's the British equivalent of um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um <laughs> But it's it's actually borrowing its plot from Cori- uh, Coriolanus. Oh, yes. And Wheatley wanted to call it Colin, comma, Uanus. Colin mm-hmm. Uanus. Yes. Which is great. The main character is called Colin and he's a bit of a prick. So it yeah. was a really clever and good title. That's a great title. The publish- uh, publicity people talked him out of calling it. <laughs> Distributors talked him out of calling it that because he didn't want to be want it to be known as the Anus movie. The Anus movie. I, whereas I want this to be known as the Cunt movie. <laughs> Thanks for the films, Paul. You know I haven't watched any, so I've literally <laughs> nothing. Oh, I started. Uh, I started watching Succession. There you go. That's oh, what there I you can go. recommend to you. Watch oh, Succession. How it's it is? Good. 
It's good. It's good. Ooh. It's one of those shows which is fun because it's about a bunch of rich, unlikable <laughs> poo heads mm. who um, uh, are obviously going to have a rough time of things. But mm. I don't care. Like, it's fun. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sad about it. The first five minutes, I was like, mm. oh, am I going to, is this just going to be like one of those things yeah. where it's just too much watching these people succeed, succeed, and yeah. you hate them and they're just, you know, so obnoxious, but they're intentionally obnoxious and they're intentionally right. awful. And it's about how awful it would be to be part of this family. <laughs> and they have this okay. like, it's funny as well. And there's, I don't mm. know, there's a moment in they're having Thanksgiving and one member says like, he's marrying into the family. He's like, I'm so happy to be joining the nicest. Fa-. And I'm just like, you'd have to, you have, you would have to keep up this lie that you were all happy and you thought yeah. your family was good because you're all awful people. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is I did find it a tough ask to see mm. a, um, something that is so directly about terrible people. But I am told that it sort of undercuts that with a good amount of dark humor. Oh, yeah. Lots. It's yeah. very funny. I've laughed out loud several times. And yeah. Um, yeah and it's it's also just interesting seeing them, you know, because they're all it's a it's a range of awful people. Right. <laughs> they're all awful in, in different and interesting ways. And, you know, there's obviously they have human moments. But, yeah. you know. Mostly eat the rich, but so it's, oh, yeah. it's fine. Eat the rich. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Well, well it's like no, uh, it's time for me to order a takeaway and end this yep. podcast. Okay. So. <laughs> that's that's how every podcast ends, and I I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I'm going to so end the podcast first and then order my takeaway. Don't worry about it. Okay. You can stay on <laughs> as I choose between what type of paneer dish I'm going to have. <laughs> You've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a podcast from Screen Mayhem. I've been your host, Jen Brundle. Brundle? Brundle. <laughs> Jen Brundle. the Brundle, Jen. <laughs> and, and that was your film critic, Paul Salt. <laughs> Our theme music was by <laughs> Jacob <Paul>. Brundle. <laughs> if you want to get in touch, you can email us at um, filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com or you can message us on social media uh, and the handle there to use is Screen Mayhem. Um, and if you want more content... Paul writes reviews sometimes for Screen Mayhem, right? Every now and then. <laughs> Every now about. and then. Just There'll about. Be, there will be a top 10 going up. Um, top oh, 30, in fact, of uh, 2021. So you're going to have top a look Top 50, that. in fact. Top 50. Why not make genuinely, it up 100? Genuinely, you could. 2021 has been one of the most incredible years for film. Yeah, know, I've seen some good things. In recent memory. So, yeah, yeah, you could genuinely go up to 50. Okay. Where are we? Where are we? I haven't seen that many, but I've seen mm. 10. 10 <laughs> good stuff um, uh, yeah so get in touch and um, tell us what you think of these films if you saw them if you're going to let us know yeah let us know yeah. let us know what you thought yeah. of them your, well, your opinion matters too just as much if not more so mm-hmm. for sure absolutely alright then see you later bye bye, bye.